You're listening to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast with Karen McMahon. We invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and enable you to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. What is anger in relationship? What is anger doing? And I found with anger, it's always about setting boundaries about something you value. So if something you value, somebody has stepped across a boundary or disrespected you, I would expect your anger to come up. Now, the next question is, how do you work with your anger? Have you ever learned thing one about it? Most people haven't. So their anger would be violent, right? Or screamy or... um, Or if they didn't know how to work with anger at all, they would just repress it and go into like a passive place where now I don't know what boundary I crossed with you because you will not tell me, right? So there's no anger there. Yeah. So I think a lot of the problem we have with emotions is that we don't understand what they're doing there. And so we tend to blame them. Like, the, the way that I see it is some boundary is crossed and my anger comes up to say, hey, hello, there's a boundary right here, right? Embarking on the journey into the next chapter of your life after divorce is often met with a mixture of excitement and fear. Everything is affected. Transitioning home and career, managing your finances, parenting as a single mom or dad, and managing the emotions around step-parents in your children's lives. The world of online dating, reconnecting with who you want to be in this new chapter of life, and finding your passion, purpose, sensuality, sexuality, and so much more. Tune in as we speak to the experts in every area of post-divorce life and support you to enter and navigate it as an adventure with a growth mindset and a heart of possibility. Today's episode explores the genius in our emotions and how they guide us. Our guest expert shares her belief that emotions are possibly our greatest source of instinct, intelligence, and energy and that they're vital for thinking, healing, decision-making, learning, loving, and understanding others. Listen in as we discuss how each of our emotions are essential and bring us the skills, energy, and intelligence we need in each situation. We share the value of the most prevalent emotions experienced through divorce, including anger, panic, shame, anxiety, sadness, jealousy, and of course, grief. Carla McLaren, today's guest, has a master's in education and is an award-winning author, social science researcher, and empathy pioneer. Her lifelong work focuses on her grand unified theory of emotions, which revalues even the most quote-unquote, negative emotions and open startling new pathways into self-awareness, effective communication, and healthy empathy. Carla is the author of The Language of Emotions, The Art of Empathy, and Embracing Anxiety, among other titles. I'm so excited to have you today. Welcome, Carla. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. 
You know, Carla, it's such an interesting thing when we started talking, uh, the, the genius in our emotions. I don't think I've ever heard of anyone say it that way and how they guide us. And so, you know, let's just jump right in. First of all, how did you get involved in this field of uh, research? Well, it was actually a way to save my own life. Uh, the, you know, it didn't have this happy opening of like, I want to study this in college. Um, it was that um, I was a, a victim of early childhood abuse. Um, and thankfully, it wasn't in, within my family. It was a next door neighbor. And um, what happened for me, I think I was three at the time and it went on for a couple of years, is I opened up my capacity to read people very, very wide. So I became hyper-empathic and hypersensitive, and I had a lot of emotional reactions to what was happening to me, as you might imagine. So for me, emotions were sort of this really kind of terrifying ocean that I could not get away from, and I couldn't, I didn't know how I had turned up my empathy and sensitivity, so I didn't really know how to turn it down. And so I was a very intense kid, uh, full of rages and um, panic and nightmares, and it was just a, it was a rough, rough way to grow up. And for me, learning about the emotions was, it was necessary for my survival because I was, my experience was that they just batter you. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's no good. And so I began to ask, um, well, what is this emotion for? And mm. I began to ask the question very early and I realized I was a little, I was a little um, um, cultural anthropologist or sociologist because I would say when I'm angry or when the cat is angry or when a horse is angry or when dad is angry. What is this experience of anger and what happened before? Why does the anger come forward and what is, what is occurring there? And so then I began to understand what emotions were more in a social setting, more in a, 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 a relational setting rather than just what is it inside me? Because inside me was a giant roiling mess, right? It was right. just too much. So I became more, I mean, that's just who I was as a kid. I just became very observational about emotions. And that's how this began. And it's been a, a, a process I've gone through throughout my life. And then when I began you know, worked in um, college and grad school and uh, found other ways to access it. But what I found is what is anger in relationship? What is anger doing? And I found with anger, it's always about setting boundaries about something you value. So if something you value, somebody has stepped across a boundary or disrespected you, I would expect your anger to come up. Mm. Now, the next question is, how do you work with your anger? Have you ever learned thing one about it? Most people haven't. So their anger would be violent, right? Or screamy. Or, um, or if they didn't know how to work with anger at all, they would just repress it and go into like a passive place where now I don't know what boundary I crossed with you because you will not tell me, right? right? So there's so no anger there. Yeah. So... I think a lot of the problem we have with emotions is that we don't understand what they're doing there. And so we tend to blame them. Like the, the way that I see it is some boundary is crossed and my anger comes up to say, hey, hello, 
there's a boundary right here, right? But for many people, they see that there's trouble and there's always an emotion there. So emotions, therefore, must be the problem. The emotions are the trouble. I'm like, no, they actually come to help you face the trouble, right. deal and, with the trouble. And if the emotions are the trouble, then the emotions are bad. Yes. So you need to shut that down. Right. And let's go to the happy emotions. Let's just go. Let's go. <laughs> right. Can we just bypass all of let's this? Let's just go. go. <laughs> well, joy, yeah. please. Can I have some joy? joy. You know, and Joy is sitting there going, hold on, um, someone just crossed a boundary with you. This is Anger's job. Why are you calling me, pal? Why are you calling me? We were sleeping. <laughs> so, so this is great because now what, what you're saying is uh, something happens, an event occurs, and an emotion arises, and the emotion that arises is there to inform and I assume guide. And yet the other thing I hear you saying (laughs) is, and well, we usually talk about reactiveness. And so it's like, if you're not listening and, and allowing for the guidance, then you can explode or implode with anger, for instance. Yes. Yeah. You would just sort of, um, the, the energy that anger brings you, you would just use it as a weapon against others or against yourself. And so it's no wonder we have learned to really avoid anger or think of it as a, as a negative emotion because uh, within, I have to say, in most people's hands, anger's a mess, right. right? It's just embarrassing to watch most people work with anger. I'm like, really? Is that where you went with that? Right. And <laughs> yeah. so for our listeners... Um, you know, there will be those who uh, have done some real grieving and evolved mm-hmm. or done some inner work. But then there's just a lot of there's a lot of people post-divorce that may have the 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 decree, the piece of paper that they're divorced, but they're still struggling with uh, what happened during the marriage or how it how it dissolved or mm-hmm. you know. Um, what the other person did to them. And so can we talk a little bit about, share with our listeners how they can begin to look at, understand, and be guided by anger differently? Mm-hmm. Well, I think something that you said about divorce is, yes, many people are divorced, but there's still the lingering whatever. If it's settlement, if it's, if it's alimony, if it's child. Um, support or or sharing the child Um, yeah there's so much that goes on after divorce there's also what do you do with the friends of the marriage who gets the friends right who gets to keep the family there's so much going on in that and I think you know it's one of the things I like to say is it's never too late to have a happy childhood that it's never too late even if you've been really really you had a lot of trouble with anger. You haven't been able to set effective boundaries. You just haven't, right? Because how, who learns this? Who, who teaches us this, right? Um, you can do it now, today. It's okay to, um, to learn something new and to try something new. And with anger, I find one of the most important things is to ask the question, what do I value? When I'm angry, I ask myself, what do I value? And sometimes it's, I value 
fairness, I value ethics, I value communication, right? I have to remind myself, I have to write it down because I'm so angry. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I think a lot of the the question that most people ask uh, when when they're very intensely angry is, um, what is a weapon and how quickly can I get to it? Because I'm on go for this person. But the second question for anger is what must be protected and restored? And with someone that you were once married to, and maybe you still share parts of your life, then that new um, relationship needs to be protected and restored to a better position. Anger can help you do that if you don't just use anger as a weapon. Um, But it's to set a boundary. Um, Even a boundary is like, no, I can't do it Wednesday, let's try Thursday. That's a boundary. Uh, or um, that won't work for me. Let's figure out something that works for both of us. So I want to I want to ask you about something. When when I talk to my clients, a lot of times when I find that they're very reactive, I mm-hmm. I often say, you know, when you're reactive, you feel this lack of control, and so yes. you, so you're triggered. And yet I, I, I get the sense that what you're talking about and what I describe are, are close. Can you help build a bridge about... So you're saying boundaries, mm-hmm. um, one, which I totally hear, right? Like being able to set boundaries or your anger being a red flag for somebody stepped over. And that reactiveness, which is also coming from anger... Uh, often seems to come when you feel you don't have control or you fear um, you're losing control. What I've noticed over the years is that if there's any fight involved, we have a multiple emotion situation. Mm. And that emotion that comes in with fight is panic. Mm. Um, So anger actually doesn't have a fight mode. If people are fighting... There we call it panger, panic plus anger. <laughs> panger, okay, panger. I like that. I like that. Panger. Um, and the so, panic. What's the, so? Is the panic? What is the panic? Panic is the emotion that helps us when we are literally in danger, when our life is in danger, mm. right? Fight, flight, uh, anger freeze. comes forward. Yeah, when when the boundaries have been challenged, uh, but panic comes forward when our life is in danger. And with a close relationship like this, especially one that is failing or has failed, so many emotions are involved. And panic is certainly going to be there because losing your central relationship is dangerous. It is socially and physically and financially dangerous. And so it's no wonder that people's panic comes forward and says, I got, I got, the, I got the gloves, let's go, let's go. And then anger has to say, okay, I guess it's not my time right now. I'm just going to, okay, whatever. So I think a lot of people don't realize when they are in panic, and panic is not a, not a negative emotion. If you need it, you need it. But then the question is, do you have any practices for your panic? Or are you just um, kind of a, a, a reactive android of panic? <laughs> right? <laughs> So, so if if the if the tool for anger is boundaries, mm-hmm. um, this is just how my mind goes. So you're gonna have yeah. to bear with me here. So the tool for out- anger is boundaries. What's the tool strategy for panic? Healing. 
healing from trauma, which um, uh, one of the things we ask for, pan for panic is, um, are you physically in danger right now? I mean, are you in danger for your life? Do you need to fight, flee, or freeze? And if the answer is no, then it's usually from a previous situation where you were in danger. And so you can take all of that energy from panic and make what we call, panic gives you so much energy, it's ridiculous. Like you could raise a, you could raise a truck off of a baby with panic, right? Mm. People have done that. Like little small women have raised cars off of injured children with their panic. Um, so it brings you a lot of energy. And then the question for panic is, you can make uh, a thousand actions. Would they be healing actions? Mm. Or would they just keep you embroiled in the fight, which then would get escalated and might endanger you? Because when I go to fight with people, you know, if I need to, I, I always know that I'm in danger because I don't know how they've learned to work with their anger and their panic. I don't know yet, right? And I'm like, so if I'm going to go into this fight, I realize this is very dangerous. And some people don't have sort of ethics um, connected to their panic and anger, and they'll just lash out and they'll sort of, you know, take... I think, I think you talked about high-conflict divorces, and this is that kind of um, ethics-free <laughs> panic and anger where people will just, you know, take out a city block in order to get this one thing that they need. And yeah, so, they they can go out. We we call it tossing emotional grenades across the room too. Like yeah. they just they're out to decimate. And yeah. and so a lot of our listeners who are post divorce with those high conflict divorces, they've lived for years with that. And mm -hmm. having been one of them, so you lose yeah. yourself. You lose yourself. You lose your voice. You lose your sense of is what I'm thinking right. Is what I'm feeling. Right. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. So there's there's such confusion mixed up with these other emotions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think I would say, you know, because we're talking about violence right now, with the violence of panic, the fight, flee, freeze, and unless young girls are involved in some kind of violent sport. Most girls don't have any practices for violence. They don't have any, they don't know the rules for violence. Many boys get to go into violent sports like football or, or wrestling Hockey, or yeah. boxing. Yeah. So they get at least some training in how to do violence, but most of us don't really have uh, any kind of ethical training around violence. You know, that Everyone has to agree to be there. There has to be rules. You have to be able to say that's too much. You know, the ambulance is nearby. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can call a timeout, right? There's so many important rules around violence, but most of us don't learn those unless we do some kind of violent sport. And I did a fencing. It's a very, um, right, it's, it's an extremely uh, rule-bound sport. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of people, once their panic and anger come up and they're filled with that much energy and that much intensity, they just become weaponized. They really don't know what they're doing. And what I would say with someone who's lobbing grenades is clearly they are terrified. Yeah. They're terrified. It looks like anger, but anger it's doesn't. Panic. Yeah, anger doesn't do that. 
So I know we had this whole agenda, and I'm about to throw it out the window, um, <laughs> as I expected I would. So what's the difference between panic and another emotion that we deal with a lot in divorce, which is fear? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I look at these emotions. They're very connected, but, um, but separate. And it's, it's so important to know which emotions you're feeling at, at what levels. For instance, to know that you're in panic and anger. You, now you have new information and you can say, I'm a weapon right now. Do I need to be right <laughs> right now? I'm a weapon. Um, <clears throat> fear is the emotion that helps us orient ourselves to the present moment and to identify any change or novelty. That's fear's job. If there's any danger, then panic will need to come forward. So a lot of people don't don't realize that shift. So they put fear and panic together. They don't know that they're different. There's a third emotion in there, which is anxiety, which is also confused with panic. But anxiety is about preparing yourself for the future. How so? That's anxiety's job. It, um, it's a forward, it's a future-facing emotion that helps you gather all of your tools, all of your skills, all of your resources to arrive in the future prepared. So either you're going to get there and you have everything you need, or you have completed your tasks, or you meet your deadlines. So anxiety is a very, very busy emotion involved with everything you do, but it's also confused with panic. I was just going to say, because I, I so often, I both have family members and then so often with clients where anxiety led to freeze but you're mm-hmm. going to tell me it wasn't anxiety that led to freeze karen Oops. <sighs> yeah it's is that panxiety yeah it's anxiety <laughs> and the two emotions are are necessary let's say that you are um uh, let's talk about divorce you're gonna have anxiety because now you have to figure out what in the world are you going to do what goes with the house with the kids with the this with the that what, what lawyer so your anxiety is going to be planning like mad, but your panic will also be coming in and saying, this is dangerous. This whole thing yeah. is dangerous, right? So you'll have anxiety, and if you don't know which one's which, you'll mostly just suffer, <laughs> right? Yeah. right? And so it's important to be able to talk to your anxiety and say, am I in danger? And the, anxiety, the panic would say, yeah, yes, you're in danger. Yes, you're in danger. You're going to be losing your position. You're going to be losing the money. You're going to be losing the house. What happens to the kids? So it's really important that, that people be able to talk to those emotions and work with them separately so that they can sleep at night, for goodness sake. Right. And even yeah. like the people that we're talking to in this Life After Divorce series, it's kind of the same thing. It's like now that you've gotten off of the battlefield and you're not focused on the attorneys and the settlement, and it's like, okay, you have whatever package you have. And then you turn around and it's like, well, what the heck do I do now? Like, yeah. how do I rebuild my life? How do I find new friends? Am I going to have a love again? Am I going to have enough money? So like all of all of the post-divorce um, stories and unknowns and uncertainties that come up can create those exact same um, emotional mixes, cocktails, emotional cocktails. Yeah, and, and divorce is such an amazing um, dis, disruption and, and, and mm. 
you like a disembodiment of, of who you were before. Mm. Sort of all the emotions need to be there, like all of them. But if you don't have any practice for these emotions, it will feel like more, like thanks a lot emotions. <laughs> I do not need this. And they're just trying to come and help. But for a lot of people, it feels as if the emotions are creating more trouble. Like well, so. it does. It feels like you're a hot mess. Um, yeah. And of course, and we're gonna, I know we're going to talk about grieving and, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of like, I, I often talk about when you're in the emotional fog, like there's no access to your rational mind. And I would love for you to just comment on that. Like when you're so swimming and maybe not realizing and not being guided by um, the emotions, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of like being underwater. It's like drowning a bit. And so there's yeah. there's the ability to, you're talking about rationalizing and I'm thinking, well, in the midst of it, how do you access your rational mind to be able to go through this process? Yeah. Well, what's really interesting is that there isn't actually a separation between what we would call rational processes and emotional processes in the brain or in the body. Although that's the story that we're told, that emotions are, are more primitive and then you have your, you know, your brilliant rational mind that's going to fix all that. But what we're learning now is that that's not how emotions work. And emotions are a uh, they are a function of cognition and they help you attach value to incoming data. That's one of emotion's um, purposes. So what I do in order to bring the linguistic, rational, talky-talky mind into the process is help... Um, I created questions to ask the emotions. Um, so we're having a relationship now. And because of this, because I haven't separated um, the intellect from the emotions, then people tend to not become overwhelmed by emotion, not for long. They, they have, okay, they know which emotion is this? Hold on. Is this panic? Is this shame? What is it? And then they have the questions to ask of each of these individual emotions. So then they go, oh, 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 that's why you're here. Okay. All righty. Uh, now I know what to do rather than these emotions are like, like, like you're two kids in a car on a long trip. Mom, these emotions are poking me. <laughs> these emotions are bothering me. Please somebody pull over the car and yeah. make my emotions get out. <laughs> yeah. And so it's really interesting as you're talking, you know, I've always thought of like, you know, emotional waves. Um, and, and yet as you're describing it, it's like, well, I grew up on the beach. It's like, so if I know what's going on with the tide and the waves and the way it works, then yeah. then even the big waves, it's like, okay, I got to go under that one. I got to jump over that one. Oh, that one I can ride in. That one can actually be some fun. Like, yes. and, and I'm hearing that you're saying, like, if you understand each individual emotion, um, what it's informing you and what it's guiding you toward, then... Um, are you less overtaken by it? I think, well, I would say in your wave analogy that if a person didn't know those things, they would go into that same water and be beaten and smashed to the ground against the rocks and have no idea what was happening. And the only difference is 
that you know the water. So I love that. You just beautifully continued my analogy. And that's a <laughs> good going. Um, I love analogies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if we know the waters of emotion, then mm-hmm. rather than, you know, being smashed by them and taking a mouthful of sand, yeah. we can actually play. Wow. Yeah. I, I think that play. that's a pretty powerful thing to say we could play with all of our emotions. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's a learning curve. How long did it take you to learn which waves? To I grew up into? on the ocean a long yeah. time. <laughs> How long did it take you? Right. So there's a learning curve. And especially in, in our culture, which tells us pretty much in every way, don't trust emotions. Mm. Do not trust them. Mm. They are not as good as your rational mind. And I'm like, yeah, yes, they are. <laughs> so emotions are as valuable as our logic and our intuition. Can we say that that's a fair mm-hmm. statement? Yeah, and they're, they're an inextricable part of both. We have a special gift for you. Whether you're still emotionally entangled with your ex or not, imagining and creating your life after divorce can feel surreal for some, terrifying for others. Fears and limiting beliefs around financial security, building new friendships, health and fitness, and even finding healthy love can interfere with your ability to create the life you desire. Journey Beyond Divorce coaches can help you get clear on what you want and the obstacles that are keeping you stuck and guide you in manifesting your ideal life. We're here to help you enter this new chapter with more confidence and enthusiasm with a free jumpstart call. Visit journeybeyonddivorce.com backslash jumpstart to book your call today. So we, we touched on, and I know we're doing just, we're just skirting these, but anger, panic, fear, anxiety, um, anxiety, panger. Wow. I'm just like, <laughs> this is like wild. Um, when we think about, let's talk about grieving a little bit because we have mm-hmm. so many different emotions in there. And of course, mm-hmm. everyone wants to touch that acceptance and begin to live into it. But even post-divorce, well, you may accept that you, the divorce is happening or the divorce happened. Again, that like looking forward and here I am. I mean, the stories I hear, I'm single. I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. I'm going to live in a basement apartment for the I'm going to be poor for the rest of my life. Like all of the unknowns that just show up as like the nightmare that yeah. create emotions that feel uncomfortable. Can you talk a little bit about Yeah. Grief is such a beautiful emotion, but in most parts of the United States culture, um, it is not a very well-loved one. And I come from a not very religious kind of waspy background, and we essentially don't have grief rituals in our family. Um, There's sometimes funerals, but, you know, you just get dressed up in your really uncomfortable clothing, and then... You go and you just hold food that you didn't really want, but everybody's getting food. Do you know what I mean? And people, I've seen people do this time and again. They apologize for crying at a funeral. I'm like, where else are you going to cry, pal? This is the only place it's okay. And it's interesting that people talk about uh, how you're holding up, how you're holding up. 
And grief is the emotion of letting go completely mm. and just mourning. And other cultures do it better. I think there's some beautiful grief rituals in the Jewish culture. There can be beautiful grief rituals in the African-American culture. But in the, in the WASP culture, the grief rituals are just pathetic. You should just, just don't go. But uh, there's some good ones in the Irish, Irish culture, Irish-Americans. They do the wake, drinking, laughing, you know, really, um, yeah. But so we don't have a lot of really good experience of grief for an actual physical death. It is not surprising that we don't have very good grief rituals for the death of a relationship. Yeah, it's almost like, what are you doing? Yeah, there's nothing, really. And I remember, I don't, I'm not going to remember, but there was a couple that I saw, maybe it was on Facebook, that they had a, a divorce ceremony that was similar to their marriage ceremony. Like it was a full, but they did it kind of backward for how to uncouple Mm-hmm. Uh, how to unmarry each other. Um, now, clearly, they cared enough about each other to do this, right? right? This was not a high-conflict situation. Right. It was, they were trying to find ways to grieve and end their relationship in a more ceremonial way, in the way that we're brought into marriage, which is very ceremonial. But we don't have ceremonies for ending marriages. Right. And so I think people are left with this, um, it's called disenfranchised grief, right? That there's no place for them. Maybe in a, in a post-divorce group, people could grieve. But there's also that, let's move on. How are you holding up? How are you holding oh, up? Oh, pull let's yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah, you know, yeah. You're better off without that lip. person. Exactly. Yes. Right. All of so this much... diminishing of the emotion. Yeah. You know, he was a jerk. She was a jerk anyway. Like a diminishing. Yeah, you're better off. Yeah. And the heart. This is a whole different organ, right? The heart knows what they're missing. And, you know, um, there's a difference that the two emotions that are very similar, they're very close to each other are sadness and grief. And the difference between them is that sadness arises to help you let go of something that isn't working anyway. So you have a choice. And a lot of people don't take the choice, right? They just keep putting more and more stuff on top of the things they need to let go of. And eventually it sort of gets over overwhelming. Mm. Sadness would tell you, this relationship isn't working anymore. It's time to let go. But grief is the emotion that comes forward when you didn't have a choice. When the thing, the marriage has died, the job is gone. The idea is over. The person is dead. The, you know, your, your health in the way that you had it before, is gone forever, right? Oh, so that's really, that's beautiful the way you just clarified that. So, yeah. um, and and I want to even say for those of you listening, like I decided to leave, mm-hmm. um, but the death of my marriage wasn't yeah. my choice. I didn't have a choice about that. I, I did, I did in sadness choose to leave, yes. but, but I was heartbroken yeah. that, it it didn't it, that it dissolved, yes. um, and and so I want to stay on this track. If a, if a, an emotion informs and guides us mm-hmm. um, uh, with sadness and grief, so it's informing us um, to let Sad- go because it's go ahead. Yeah, sadness would be um, you need to let go of something that isn't working anyway, and so the 
the sort of initiation of sadness would be you're holding on to something that isn't working. Mm. And with grief, the initiation is you've had a sudden and devastating loss that you couldn't control, right? Well, maybe not sudden because you can grieve someone who's been dying or something that's been dying over a long yeah. period of time. But grief is a much larger emotion and it inc includes a lot of emotions. There's rage and grief, there's anger, there's apathy, there's depression, there's, you know, there's like everything is in grief. Um, and so it's really such a necessary emotion. Um, but, but again, we don't, unless we're lucky enough to be in a, in a grief culture, you know, a grief respecting culture, we don't even know what to do. We don't even know how to grieve. Would you say that grief guides us to heal? I think grief guides us to mourn, to and, mourn. and and remember. And remember. And I, th I think grief is a really intrinsic part of love. And that's hard at the end of a marriage. Because... I think a lot of people tell them, I didn't love you, or, or they don't even trust their capacity to love because it turned out so badly. Yeah. Right? And it wasn't your capacity to love that turned out badly. It was the relationship. And, and being able to pull that back, but because we don't know how to grieve or how to articulate our grief, it's sort of like, just my, I'm just an entire failure. The end. Yeah. Yeah. Quick, quick broad stroke on, on yeah. what all this means. Yeah, the right. end. I can't trust myself. I can't trust myself to love. I, you know, the, it's, it's such a, we need to have, let's do it. We need to have grief rituals for divorce. We just need to make that a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's such a vital step. And yet, you know, even just in the American society, it's, um, and then so many people feel so, so uncomfortable with all of the emotions in grief. And so yes. you, you know, we're always talking to our clients about, you know, who's your, who's your A team? Who's your support team? Like, mm -hmm. And in this particular case, who can be comfortable with your range of emotions yes. as opposed to trying to fix it or encourage you past it or hide from you or you know whatever the case may or like be and jolly you yes yeah yes and with I, I have a client and he said he went out with the boys and they were like let's go get you laid you know and it, it's just like <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay um <laughs> like first things first here and but just like all of the different ways that people yeah. are like I'm, I'm not comfortable with your feelings let's just Let's get beyond that. Yeah. And, um, and so if you're listening in and you're post-divorce and, and navigating any of these different emotions, uh, our invitation is that you, you befriend them, that you um, listen to what they're informing you of and what they're guiding you to. And I, I'd love if we have some time, if you have some time to chat about some of the other ones that, like you had mentioned, um, we talked about uh, shame, uh, uh, envy, and jealousy. So if we, if we can touch on a couple more, I think that that would be really helpful, or, or guilt um, for mm -hmm. our listeners. Mm -hmm. I think... 
jealousy and envy are such important emotions, but they're mostly, I don't know if they're the most hated. Shame is pretty darn hated. Um, but jealousy and envy, people don't seem to have much time for them. They're, you know, jealous people are called green-eyed monsters, and envy is actually one of the seven deadly sins. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, so there you go. Um, <laughs> no no judgment. <laughs> no judgment there. <laughs> the end. Um, these two emotions, I call them the sociological emotions, and they, they, they keep an eye on our, the safety of our positioning in the social world. So which is jealousy, it keeps an eye on our love relationships, the fairness and intimacy and connection and loyalty that we have and that we also offer. And envy keeps an eye on our interactional self, the access to resources, money, approval, preservation, fairness, security, loyalty. So both of them are very much into what's fair. Mm-hmm. What is, who's loyal, who's disloyal. And one of the things that creates a lot of difficulty in relationships is people are not taught to bring their jealousy out before the relationship starts. To really look up and down at the person. How do they deal with their family? How do they deal with past relationships? What's their relationship with their mother or their father? Um, what's their relationship with their children, if they have any? Like, how are they ethical? Uh, can they be relied on? Instead, we're like, you're so handsome. Let's get married. Um, and <laughs> then jealousy's going to have to come out and go, all right, I'm going to have to sweep up after you, lady, <laughs> because um, now we are in this relationship that is, you know, um, a, literally a part of our survival now, part right. of our social survival. And did we choose appropriately? Right. Um, and this is not to say you know, you're a bad person, you didn't choose. We aren't taught to choose. No. You know, I was looking at um, a lot of, like, women's magazines and women's literature, which pretty much takes a broken man and a woman fixes them with their heart, right? Yep, yep, that is the, that's the, that's the American story. (laughs) Yeah. Did you know that you cannot fix other people with love? You can love them with love. But you cannot fix them. I, I th- I'm thinking our audience actually is all nodding their head going, I know that now. <laughs> I got that now. Did um, you know that? Did you know you can't fix other people's mental illness with love? Yeah. I learned that early. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so a lot of the messaging we get really sets us up for a fall. Yes. And at the end of a, of a relationship that fails, we think, how could I have been so ignorant, um, unaware, um, uncareful. I'm like, because you were trained to be, that's why. Right. And that's, that's, that's great that you said that because that self-judgment, it's like, we only know what we know. And, and so what we're not taught, and there's so much that we're not taught, we go out and we do our best. And then we learn when we're faced with these tribulations, that's when we actually, seek the information and go, well, this, this isn't working. This isn't right. So what do I do about it? Yeah. But I think that's one of the things is to love yourself for just not knowing what you were doing, you know, even though it turned out so badly, sometimes it turns out okay. You know, sometimes people, you know, fall into a relationship that's somehow going to work, but it's very difficult if you haven't checked the person out. Right. I think I was talking to you before. We spend more time deciding what kind of car. Yep. Lord, what kind of what kind of T-shirt we're going to buy. 
than we do who we're going to have come in live in in our in our most intimate life area yeah Absolutely. And I do think that, you know, it's so important through every phase of divorce and, and certainly post-divorce. Um, I've been, the, the, the concept of regret has been coming up over and over mm-hmm. in the conversations I've been having with clients. And, you know, um, and what comes with that is picking up the bat and beating the heck That's out of shame. yourself. And so um, uh, Carrie Doubts, one of the coaches on our team, uh, was was saying, you know, we have to replace self condemnation with self compassion, and if we could go through everything with with that self love and that self compassion, we're we're at least headed in the right direction. Um, but you said so. I said regret. You said shame. Can you just touch on that a little mm-hmm. bit? I talk about shame and guilt as um, I, I put them together. I know that a lot of people separate them, um, but my understanding of shame is that it's the emotion that helps us maintain it's a it's um it's called a social emotion so our jealousy and envy and it helps us understand how to behave uh within um within relationships and toward ourselves so it's about integrity self-respect and our behavioral um rules and guidelines one of the things that shame does is it holds us to the ethics and morals that we've agreed to. And so the work with shame is making sure that we know what those ethics and morals are and that they are updated and that they are appropriate. For instance, uh, many people walk around with a shaming message that says, no one will love you until you're perfect. Mm. Right? And so some poor schlub comes and tries to love you, and clearly you're not perfect yet. Your shame is going to go on a bender. Your shame is going to go off the rails because you've broken a rule. The, the work we do in dynamic emotional integration, or DEI, is we make sure we understand where that message comes from. Do we agree with it anymore? Do we need to renegotiate that that contract or pick up a better message Mm. and I like that idea of self-compassion you could ask yourself is this a compassionate message that Mm. if someone else treated me the way I'm treating myself what I call the police yes exactly (laughs) exactly yeah Yeah. so so finding out if if your poor shame is having to uphold messages that are unlivable Right, that's an unlivable message. No one will love me until I'm perfect. That's, you know, that your shame has to hold you to that. Shame's like, ew, 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 but you made me do this. Yeah, <laughs> so and I, I see shame as like a really, really close friend who's watching after me, but maybe has some programming in there that's really toxic. The yeah. shame's not toxic, but the, the programming, programming is. is toxic. And, you know, yeah. we, we talk about limiting beliefs all the time, and some of our beliefs are very expansive, and some of them are very limiting, and many of them we adopted from our parents who adopted from their parents, and it's almost yeah. like this unconscious blueprinting of yeah. how you go through life, and it's like you don't even know that yeah. that's your, those are your rules and those yes. are your beliefs until you you know, find yourself toe-to-toe with something that's that's hurting or not working or... Yeah. yeah. So yeah. renegotiate yeah. the rules. Yeah, and that's one where it's really important to have your 
your logic and your intellect available because shame is a very powerful emotion. Mm. And so to be able to say, where, what is, what is this, what is this message I'm working off of? It seems terrible. Where, where did I get it? And why was it important for me? I love what you're saying in all of this is that self-reflective. So like on a very basic level, you know, so many of us are raised that, that if, if you feel blank, it's the circumstance of the person's fault that you're yeah. engaged with, right? And so, like, so much of our message is, okay, that's the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. Let them go. And, and let's, let's go inside. This is all an inside job. And so everything that you've just talked about is really, we each have these, this rainbow of emotions that are there to inform and guide us. And step one is really letting go of what's happening externally and and taking the opportunity to tune in, just like we tune into our t- intuition, tune into the individual emotions, um, mm-hmm. figuring out what they are, why they're there, what they're telling us, and 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 then that practice of. Um, swimming in the ocean and and diving through or jumping over the various waves mm-hmm. because as you know emotions are very powerful oh yes so uh it's important to get get some skills get some skills with those right now yeah. um or it's never too late yeah it's never too late you can develop emotional and empathic regulation skills at any age and as I say always, what you do for yourself, you then pay forward to your children and you begin to change mm-hmm. patterns that may have been in your family for generations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. We could just keep going on. There's so <gasps> much here. Um, I, I, want, I want you to, is there anything else that we haven't touched on? Oh, of course. Can we talk about some of the happy emotions for a few minutes before we wrap up? <laughs> the happiness emotions are like, hold on, what? <laughs> We're sleeping. Um, yeah, I look at three kinds of happiness. Um, happiness, which is our um, our ability to look forward to the future and be like, this is going to be cool and fun and exciting, or looking around ourselves and like, yay. Contentment, which is more of an inward turning emotion that will... You could say it's um, pride in yourself or satisfaction or self-esteem. And then joy, which is an expansive, inspiring, kind of radiant, blissful emotion mm. that where you, where you become one with everything um, and you sort of drink up the world. Mm. And sometimes that's great, but not all the time, <laughs> right? I mean, you know you wouldn't want to be angry or panicking all the time because that wouldn't be appropriate. But it's also not appropriate to be in in these blissful joy all the time, right? right. Yeah, yeah. This radiant, or um, or to have contentment when you actually haven't done something to be proud of, that would be bad. Um, there's actually a um, bullying, which you would think is a system, uh, would be a low self esteem issue, right? It turns out that bullies have many bullies have high self-esteem that is not based on anything appropriate. So they have too much contentment, not enough shame about their behavior, not Mm. enough 
self-moderating shame. And then happiness is a, is a wonderful emotion, but there is such a thing as um, a positivity bias where you'll be like, it's all going to work out. <laughs> and I think a lot of us did a, you know, I've had two divorces and my positivity bias kept, <laughs> kept those going, right? I'm like, and tomorrow's another day, right? You know, and... The rose-colored uh, glass. Uh. It was serious rose-colored glasses. Um, I figured it out, but it's still a tendency that I would go to, well, let's look at the bright side. And <laughs> no, you just need to deal with what is. And Yeah, so that's, that's so interesting, Carla, because, you know, what's, what's coming to mind for me is... Um, you can't appreciate the sun if you don't never have a rainy day. Like that yeah. whole contrast of, mm-hmm. um, and balance. So I'm like on this balance kick. Um, like how do we get balance in every aspect of our lives? And what you're saying is all of these emotions that seem a little bit more difficult, um, that have a, a bad reputation, so to speak, um, are equally as important, powerful, um, guiding, genius, informative in our life as the ones we think we want to spend all the time in happiness, contentment, and joy. Um, And yet a balance of them all is probably like a healthy, like a healthy diet. A balance is probably uh, best for, for each of us. Yeah. For instance, if you're in danger, you definitely want your panic. Yeah. Right? Not your rose-colored glasses. <laughs> yeah, you do not want a happy joy. Um, <laughs> you know, fight, flee, or freeze, and live. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. 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 So there's like this wonderful rainbow, like you said, of emotions that are just, they have so much for us. But we've been pushed away from them our whole lives long. Um, for me, the work is to trust my emotions and knowing that I have been trained, and we've been trained for centuries to distrust our emotions and sometimes even hate them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they never deserved it. Yeah. So, you know, we, we have so many people um, listening to this series, and uh, what I'd love for you to do is share um, how people can find you, if you have a free giveaway that people can get to learn a little bit more about you or get on your mailing list. Could you do that? Sure. I'm at CarlaMcLaren.com, and I do have, um, right up at the top, there's a bunch of free tools. Uh, you can learn about all the emotions. Um, there's a blog post for each emotion. And there's something called the emotional vocabulary list because um, that what is they so found, helpful. Yeah, and research is that just getting a better vocabulary, just learning more words, will help you regulate your emotions. Like, that's the only step you need to take. Boom, more words, you're better at it. Yeah. I I once heard that, like, um, some people have, like, a a Crayola um, crayon box with just eight colors, and others have, like, the big box of 64. (laughs) We got the 64. (laughs) (laughs) You have more choices. Yeah. (laughs) That's perfect. So, yeah. and, and all of that information is in the show notes. So, 
if you've um, found value, and I certainly have, I'm, I'm, I'm going for that emotional vocabulary too. Um, if you found value, reach out to Carla, learn more about the work that she's done, the, the resources that she has, and um, I think I can say for both of us, we wish you a, a rainbow and multicolored uh, experience of all of your emotions post-divorce, and uh, we wish you the very best. Thank you, Carla, so much. Thank you. And stay tuned for our next episode of Life After Divorce. We will be talking to you soon. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.